welcome back to the Live AD 33 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Christ and give current events eternal perspective. I'm your host, George Helloa. Today on the podcast, I'll be sharing a message I taught this past weekend. As I mentioned before, I have the privilege of working with young adults. Most of them are single, many are dating, and we even have minister to a few young married couples. But something that comes up a lot with the people I minister to are the issues of singleness and loneliness. And in some people's minds, they're the same thing. But that's not always the case. So today, I'll be talking about the gift of singleness and how we can deal with loneliness and why it's important to separate the two. Whatever your relationship status, I hope you'll be encouraged by today's podcast. Let's take a listen. So we've been talking about this series, Traveling Companions, and, and, and this week, which is about, about the people we travel with, the presence of God, we've talked about that, we've talked about the people we, we go on our, our journeys with, um, and something we haven't really explored a whole lot is what do we do when there isn't someone uh, to ride with us, isn't someone to ride shotgun with us, as it say, you know, the church, the church is supposed to be a body of believers where we, where we all come together, where we all come together in Christ, and Christ is in all, but despite the unity uh, and community that the church offers, there can be a lot of pressure on us, even in the church, when it comes to relationships. And by relationships, I don't mean just our friends. I'm, I'm going to just come out and say it's about having that, that special someone in our life. Okay, now I know we have people in here who are dating. We have some people in here who are married. Uh, and I think we'll find something for everybody in here. But I feel, it can feel like either everyone we know is in a relationship or someone we know is trying to get us in one um, and even if you're perfectly content being single, all right, for some reason there are some people who find that unacceptable. All right, maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've been, you know, you go to a family dinner and the first question they ask is, are you dating anybody? You know, like, that's okay, thanks for that. On the other hand, there are people who have a whole lot going for them. They have friends, they have family, they have a good job, and yet they feel often as if there's, there should be something else. And that feeling can often lead to loneliness, okay? So today we want to talk about what it means when there's really no one to ride shotgun with us. We've used that illustration about traveling with people, being on the bus. And we're going to talk about the gift of singleness. And we're going to talk about overcoming the challenge of loneliness. And we're going to, we're going to start off by looking at five truths, five truths that I want us to kind of to, to, to begin with, all right? And, and, and here's truth number one. Truth number one, we are designed for relationships, okay? We are. It's a true story. God is a personal God. We see relationships modeled uh, in the beginning, in the Trinity. They were modeled in the Garden of Eden when God walked with Adam and Eve. Uh, we see people having a relationship with Jesus. It was modeled by Jesus, being in community. So we are designed for relationships. Ecclesiastes reminds us that, what, two are better than one because they have a good uh, reward for their toil, uh, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone and when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Uh, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and the threefold cord is not quickly broken. So there is certainly strength in relationship, certainly strength in companionship, and it's normal to, to, to be in and normal to seek godly relationships but we typically very often will read this passage and we'll look at it in the view of of romantic relationships we see it in weddings and i did a wedding yesterday and i of course i use this passage of scripture it's a great passage of scripture but this is not simply reserved for for married people this is 
instructive for all of us because the relationships that we are designed for are not always and necessarily uh, romantic ones. Okay, so truth number one is that we are designed for relationships. Truth number two is that design for relationships is not the same as being defined by relationships, okay? Being designed for relationships is not the same as being defined by relationships. Your value and your worth is not determined by who you have a relationship with, the friends you have, and whether or not you have a significant other, all right? Your identity is defined and complete by no other relationship than the one that you have in Jesus Christ, okay? This line gets blurred, though, because people will start comparing themselves to other people, and then they'll start comparing to their own specific situation. And I'm going to say this unequivocally, no boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, will ever give you the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the purpose that a relationship with Jesus will give you. And we should never seek in other people what only God, through Jesus Christ, can give us. Okay? So we're designed for relationships, but it's not the same as being defined by relationships. And some people make themselves defined, their value defined, by whether or not they're in some sort of relationship. Truth number three is very important. Maturity in Christ, not marriage, is the goal of the church. All right? Now, this might seem obvious, but it's not. Ephesians 4 defines the goal of the body of Christ to be when we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And I know that the church is one of the guiltiest of this, okay, that it can feel like in Christian circles that you're not whole until you're hitched, right? And, and if you've ever spent time in a Christian college, anybody here go to a Christian college at all? Yeah, so you know that uh, ring, by, ring by spring or your money back is like a real motto in some of these, okay? We used to call my school, yeah, some of you need refunds. Look, so we actually, they call, I went to Christian Heritage College, they called it Christian Meritage College, all right? You heard that? And Bethany's like, oh yeah, you know. So, what's that? San Diego Courtship Center. San Diego Courtship Center, SDCC. Yeah, okay, I can see that. All right. So you know. So, but we have to remember that maturity in Christ, not marriage, is the goal of the church. And number four, truth number four, a relationship is not a guarantee of overcoming loneliness. All right. That feels good. Yeah, I got that. It's going. All right. So listen to this. You can have a large circle of friends. You can come from a loving family. You can be part of a great church. You can enjoy your work, enjoy everything you do, and you can still feel lonely. And plenty of people who are married can struggle with loneliness. Why? Because loneliness is not the same thing as being alone. And the issue is that we've, also, we've often made relational singleness synonymous with loneliness. And we've bought into this idea culturally uh, that we are incomplete without that special someone riding shotgun in our life. And our culture, our culture even treats single people differently than coupled people, married people. If you're not sure about that, wait till you do your taxes. Okay? <laughs> Be, you know, there are, there are, for lack of a better term, there are advantages culturally to, to, to being married. You know, there are certain things that just happened, and that's, it's, I'm not saying it's fair, I'm just saying that's the reality. And so we have to understand, though, the relationship, that a relationship is not a guarantee of overcoming loneliness. And in order to deal with this idea, we have to differentiate singlehood, being single, 
from loneliness, okay? So we're gonna, we're gonna take these two ideas, this idea of singlehood and this idea of loneliness, we're gonna split them apart just for a couple minutes here. So uh, in 2016, which is the last year that they have statistics for it, there was 110, almost 111 million unmarried people in America age 18 and older, okay? 110 million. That group makes up 45% of all US residents age 18 and older, okay? So what is that, almost half? of U.S. adults are single. Now, you wouldn't know that by watching television or sitcoms or whatever, but that's the truth. Of those 110 million, 63% of those are people who have never been married their whole life. This is adult people. And 23% are divorced, and 13% were widowed. So if almost half of the U.S. population is single, so unless we decouple singles and loneliness, we're assuming that almost half the U.S. population is in a constant state of loneliness. But I think we, if we're honest, we're going to say that's, that's not necessarily true. Extensive research has been laid out. Okay, listen to this. It has been shown to show whether or not people were more or less happy before, during, or after their marriage. Okay? They did the research to find out, you know, did, because people would say, oh, married people live longer. Married people are happier. Married people are, you know, the sun shines on them better than it shines on single. I don't know what it is. But you keep hearing these kind of stereotypes being made. But so people research whether or not this was true. And I'll save the detailed analysis, but it boils down to this. People who were typically happy before marriage were typically happy after marriage. Okay, makes sense. People who were typically unhappy before marriage were, surprise, surprise, typically unhappy after marriage. And even people who married and then divorced didn't necessarily report a significant long-term drop in their overall happiness throughout their life. And more to the point, people who remained single during their, during their life, during the same length of time that people were single and married and all this thing, they did not have any lower life satisfaction than those people who did marry. Okay? So we see from this that marriage doesn't solve the happiness problem in our lives. So we need to reframe this conversation. There's a book I've been reading and I've been working through. It's called Singled Out. It's by, the author's name, her name is Dr. Bella DiPaolo. And she talks about how single people have been stereotyped, stigmatized, ignored, and yet still live happily ever after and become productive members of society. And she does it with great research. She does it with great examples. And through careful study in her research, she breaks down that some of the myths of singleness, some of the myths that we may have bought into. Let me give you a couple of the things that she addresses. She addresses these myths. Number one, that married people know better. Right? You ever had a married friend come to you and kind of be like, you'll understand someday? Okay? Yeah. And I'm not knocking the married people in here. God bless you. I've been married for 19 years. Okay? I I love it. It's great. Um, But maybe you're single and you've heard that. Well, you'll understand someday, sweetie. Um, Here's one of the myths that your only goal in life is to get coupled with somebody else. Okay, that's, that's one of the other myths. Um, here's, here's one that comes up. Here's another myth. You are miserable, lonely, and your life is tragic because you're single. All right? Um, here's, uh, you are self-centered and immature. In other words, there's a reason you're single. Okay? That's, everyone wants to hear that one. Uh, here's, a, here's one that we've maybe, if you're single, you've been hit by this, especially in the working world. Your time isn't worth anything, and you have nothing to, to do but play. You know, anyone ever been called to, to work? Has that a single person ever been called to work a shift because a married person had to go on a date or something like that? And you're like, I had plans. Yeah, but you're single. Don't worry about it. Oh, thanks for that. 
Um, you don't have anyone and you don't have a life outside of work. Or this is a, in this one, <laughs> maybe you've bought into this. You will grow old and alone and die in a room by yourself where no one will find you for weeks, long after the cats have gotten to you. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Culturally, while we may never admit this, these are some of the fears, and these are the way, I mean, look at movies. That's the way single people are treated. Look at, look at TV shows. You know, the, the, oh, you're the single cat lady, whatever it is, okay? And, and maybe, and, and, and these, are, these are real things, and these are the pe- way that people treat single people. And, I've, and, and I'm going to be honest, as a pastor to mostly single people, whether you've heard them, I hear them, and I hear them about you, and it drives me bananas. Okay, because I know who God has made you to be, and I know what kind of people God has called you to be, and I know that you have other things going on in your life besides trying to get hitched. Okay, some of you are like, I have no time to be in a relationship, and I don't want to be in a relationship. Okay, look, maybe you've been the victim of one of these myths, or maybe you've bought into one or more of them, but let's remember something. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Truth number five, marriage is a gift. So is singleness. Okay? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says this, I wish that all were as I myself am. And that's unmarried. Paul was unmarried. This is the context of this passage. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now let's pause here for real quick and point out something obvious. If marriage was a spiritual goal, right, and it brought wholeness to a person, wouldn't Paul have been married? Wouldn't Jesus have gotten married? When I, do, when I do weddings, one of the things I always like to point out is that this is two complete people getting married. Not two halves becoming whole, but two individuals who are complete in Christ coming together into a new unity. Okay? I didn't, you know, everyone likes Jerry Maguire. You know, oh, you complete me. If you're looking for someone to fill, you, fill in your blanks and fill in the potholes, you're going to have to look a, a really long time. It's romantic, it's cute, it's adorable, but, you know, people will never fulfill you the way God will. Paul writes and he says, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which the Lord has called him. So I know that I say singleness is a gift and and some of you are shuddering, wondering if there's a gift receipt came with that, you know. Is there an exchange policy, you know, was it a return policy? But, but, what's that? What's that, that it's a gift? You're lucky to be single? Oh, okay. Wow, yeah, yeah. You're lucky to be single. Wow, you have, you need to go to counseling. Okay. Um, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. yeah. Remember those, I remember those days. It was awesome. Uh, I remember those days and don't want to go back. But it's been, I think we've been, we've been together longer than we've been apart now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting old. Okay. Uh, the, um, it's awesome. But listen, Paul defines what he means when he says singleness is a gift. And I want us to look at this, all right? Paul defines this. He says in verse 32, he says, let me tell you why singleness is a gift. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties, okay? I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman... Uh, the, or the betrothed, and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. Excuse me, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman 
is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And this is a simple truth. Relationships, they can be distracting. Okay, they can be difficult. As believers, in a believers in a godly relationship, we're not just responsible for seeking God's will, but also have the responsibility of fulfilling our ministry to the one that we call spouse. Okay, um, and, and dating relationships in that time when so many of us are still in the stages of solidifying, you know, life's direction and figuring out where we're going to go and what we're going to, you know, be when we grow up. Uh, the additional stress of fitting another person into that plan can be distracting and, and can be difficult at times. This is why I always encourage people to pursue purpose, not a person, right? Uh, Because when you're on God's path for you, you're more likely to encounter someone who's going the same direction as you are, as opposed to pursuing a person only to find that at the crossroads of purpose, uh, you have to split up. Now, Chris and I were dating, and and I was going into ministry, right? And there are demands to take your time in ministry. There are demands in your time. and, And one of the biggest concerns that I sought counsel for, that we both talked about, to people was, how do I balance the call to the ministry of the gospel uh, with the responsibility to minister to my spouse? And frankly, it is only in obedience to the purposes of God for both of our lives that we're able to see our relationship thrive, that we constantly still, we still struggle with that balance because God has called us to something and the purposes he has in our life to minister to people, to reach out to people. But we also have a responsibility as a husband and wife to meet each other's needs, to, 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 be, to be a mom and a dad. And um, it, can be, it can be a challenge sometimes. Sometimes I have to say no to what I think, you know, someone calls me and says, hey, can we talk? Because I have to say yes to my family because I'm a dad first. And it's tough. It's a tough balance. And the gift of single, and I tell you that because the gift of singleness allows you to focus on fulfilling and receiving all that God wants for you without having to balance the demands of the other person. Now, full disclosure, we are on the same path of purpose. We had, how many conversations did we have, you know, dating going is this where is god want us together because a lot yeah a lot okay because i knew what god had called me to do and she knew what god had called her to and we had to come to an understanding that we were both willing to go the same direction and both willing to make the sacrifices to be obedient to god but in the four years that we dated there was three or four times that were like we both kind of felt is god splitting us up and the reality was we were both okay with that because we wanted God's best for the other person. We wanted God's best for our life. And so there was a challenge. But God brought us all along to, to, because we were both on the same path of purpose to say, no, you can minister together if you're both committed to my purposes first. And that's a sacrifice we, have still, we still make and we still have to, to wrestle with. So I, I say this, that the, the, so you understand, there's nothing wrong with being married. There's nothing wrong with being single. And so don't hear what I'm not saying. And, but the gift of singleness allows you to focus on all that God wants for you without having to balance the demands of another person. And it lets you grow and stretch and change without having to worry about how that's going to affect somebody else. Because as you grow in the Lord, you're going to change. You're going to be a different person. And, you know, as we were dating, you know, when was it, 18 when we started dating? Just a kid, 19, 18, 19, yeah. By the time we got married, I was a different person. She was a different person because of the work of God. And that's where some of those challenges came in. But God was growing us together. Look, I want to challenge you. Some of you are, are still in the midst of being transformed by God. And so you need to have the space to become all that God wants you to be. Here's a fact about the gift of singleness. And this, this, may this be a point of encouragement to you. Nothing says it is the only or the last gift that you're going to receive. All right? Just think of it like the socks you received for Christmas that you eventually outgrew. 
All right? They, 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 so too will the gift accomplish all that it was intended to do in your life. And then God can and will bless you with a new gift. All right? Some of you think that you're single and you're always going to be single, but don't make the mistake of discounting the gift that God has given you now. Take full advantage of it. Take full advantage of becoming all who, that God wants you to be. Treat it as what God intended, exactly what you need at this time in your life, the thing that is best for you now. And when you embrace this idea that what God has given you, that this gift he has given you, you can accomplish all that he wants you to do with that gift. And then when he says, good, you've worn it out, now it's time for a new gift. And he can give you exactly what you need. So there's nothing wrong with being single. And I want you to encourage you by that, for those of you who are single. And those, and those who are married... I think, you know, and I've done weddings for a number of people in this room. You know, these are people that I can confidently say were, had pursued their purpose and become who God wanted them to be, and now we're in a position to grow together. And, and, and so, but they went from one gift to another gift because God said you're ready for a new gift. So now let's shift gears and let's talk about what, what really haunts so many of us. Not singleness, but the specter of loneliness, Okay. So a recent article on CNN reported that loneliness peaks at three key ages. This came out, this report came out at the end of last year, in December. And according to the research, which, which was conducted by a professor at UC San Diego and, and conducted uh, on San Diegans, okay? So this is like local research going on right here. He said this, they said this, more people reported feeling moderate to severe loneliness during their late 20s, their mid-50s, and their late 80s than in any other life period. Late 20s, mid 50s, and late 80s. So the concern they say is that loneliness is associated with declines in physical health, mental health, cognition, though this has been reported in the past. He says, but according to the report, at these peaks, 76% of adults experience moderate to extreme feelings of loneliness. Three out of four. And say so now, the researchers, they fully expected loneliness to peak later in life when your friends are passing away, those types of things. But they were really surprised to see it peak with those in their late 20s, which covers most of this group, right? They were at a loss to explain these findings. And this was their, their theory. They said this, the late 20s is often a period of major decision-making, which is often stressful because you often end up feeling that your peers made better decisions than you did, and there's a lot of guilt about why you did this or you did that. They said it's a, it's a period of stress which increases loneliness. Now, again, this is only his theory, and I, and I appreciate, but what I appreciate about this report is that they give a definition of loneliness. He says loneliness does not mean being alone, and loneliness does not mean having friends. The, the definition they give, he says that, that loneliness is described as subjective distress. It is the discrepancy between the social relationships you want and the social relationships you have. Okay. It's a discrepancy between what you want and what you have in terms of social relationships. And truth be told, we can experience loneliness in a number of these key areas of our life. Let me hit these real quick, okay? We can experience loneliness in our faith, right? We can experience loneliness in our, in our faith. Like Elijah the prophet, we can feel like we're the only one sometimes. You know, after his victory in Mount Carmel, Elijah found himself in a cave crying out to the Lord and saying, I have been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, uh, for the people of Israel have forsaken uh, your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Some of you work in environments hostile to Christianity. Some of you may be the only believer in your family. And it can be exhausting trying to live your faith in a world that would rather seek itself than seek sacrifice. 
But God reminds Elijah, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And he said, John, look around. He said, you are, he says, you are, you are, you are not alone. Look around this room. You are not the only Christian going through the things you're going through. We can experience loneliness in our faith. We can experience loneliness in our families. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're a single adult. You've been married for years. You can still feel lonely. There's a lot of young adults who, who desire a relationship and can't seem to find healthy companionship. There are many spouses who occupy the same house and neglect each other emotionally or physically. Often it's a wife who feels emotionally abandoned by her husband. And some, there, there are some people maybe who have been abandoned by one or both of their parents. The people who, who should be most present in their life have disappeared and they feel lonely. And, and we can't forget people who have lost loved ones. And there are many, many, many people who have lost themselves, have lost someone close to themselves. And that's not, a, that's not a void easily replaced. But we rejoice, the Bible says, that God is the father of the fatherless. He's a protector of widows in his holy habitation. So it can be lonely in our faith, in our family. And this is one really, we can experience loneliness in our friendships. You know, sometimes we might feel left out of our own circle of friends. We feel like we're the third wheel. And as people grow and they change, the feelings of change and separation can lead to loneliness. You know, seeing your friends getting married and seeing your friends getting coupled off while you uh, remain single can make us feel lonely. As, as can watching your friends succeed and move forward in life while you feel like you're stuck where you've always been. Okay? Like you feel like everyone else is getting that promotion. Everyone else is getting that dream job. Everyone else is getting a raise. And you're like... I am, nothing is happening in my life. But I bet we would be surprised how often that those we envy are in fact thinking envious thoughts towards another person. That's why Paul just encourages us, he says in verse 17, that each person, what does he say? Lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Focus on your life. Focus on what God has called you. This is the life he's working in you. And so maybe you've found yourself in one of these places, right? Lonely in your faith, in your family, your friendships. And so how do we wrestle with the idea that the God who never leaves us or forsakes us, which is Hebrews 13, allows us to feel lonely? And how do we overcome that loneliness? Well, let me hit on that real quick. So the same research that revealed the level of loneliness that people experience also revealed a very surprising solution. And this is what they said. They said that people who have high levels of wisdom don't feel lonely. And this was interesting. People who, don't have, people who have high levels of wisdom don't feel lonely. The greater the wisdom a person had, the less lonely they felt. And this is what they wrote, and they defined wisdom. They said that the inverse relationship between lowliness and wisdom was surprising and interesting and actually positive. And these are how they measure wisdom, these six components. It was the general knowledge of life, okay, emotional management, empathy, compassion, altruism, and a sense of fairness, insight, acceptance of divergent values, and decisiveness, which is the ability to make quick, effective decisions when necessary. So let me put this another way. Recognizing the larger world around you, your place in it, and valuing others will help you overcome loneliness. And so to reiterate what I've said in the past, even a few weeks ago, you cannot live a life of purpose and make it about yourself. And it's more difficult to feel lonely when you've made your focus others and the world outside of yourself. It's really hard to look inwardly on yourself and feel lonely when you've made your life about other people and other things. But here's the, here's the, here's the kicker. The Bible has been calling us to wisdom for thousands of years. 
It's like this, the research is turning up what the Bible already knows. Surprise! Okay. Proverbs 13, 313. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom in whatever you get. Get insight. And here's the good news. The book of James promises this. Promises what? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given him. So what? Well, what's the so what? What are, you, what are you trying to say, George? That the secret to overcoming loneliness lies in the relationship and the wisdom that comes from God. So in his book, Slaying the Giants, Dr. Jeremiah, he wrote these words. He said, feeling lonely is not a sin, but we sin when we begin to indulge it. We sin when we've been ignoring the biblical prescription for confronting it. We sin when we let it possess us and ruin our lives. Look, loneliness hurts. I get it. Feeling lonely stinks. I've been there. I know what it feels like. It, it, it's painful. And it's not always easy to deal with, but God gives us some tools for handling it. I want to go through these real quick. Number one, acknowledge your loneliness. It's okay to admit that you're lonely. It's not weakness to admit it. And sometimes, look, platitudes don't help. That's the worst thing when you're feeling lonely or you're feeling a little down for someone to say, it's going to be okay. Those are the people you want to punch, you know, like... <laughs> pat you on the back. Look, it's okay to admit that you don't feel like you have the relational support you need. It's, and, and letting others know this gives them a chance to encourage you and to pray for you. And you may even find that you are not alone in your loneliness. So acknowledge your loneliness. Number two, though, accept God's provision. Anyone who has Jesus is never alone. His spirit dwells in believers. Two weeks ago, we talked about the presence of God in our life, our constant traveling companion. There are many people Many people who are surrounded by loving friends and family who feel lonely because the greatest need of their heart, a relationship with Jesus, hasn't been filled. They're looking for support in all the wrong places. Also recognize this, that a lot of what you're looking for may already be there, just not wrapped in the package you were expecting. All right. Sometimes you have to accept the provision that God has given you. You have to acknowledge that God has put people in your life and recognize that they're going to meet those needs that you're longing for. Third one, extremely important. Allow God's word to fill you. Okay? I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. The best way to deal with what we feel is to focus on what we know. Okay? The best way to deal with what we feel is to focus on what we know. How many of you know that feelings can be deceptive? How many know that feelings can change rapidly? How many just know that sometimes coffee will change how you feel? Okay? (laughs) Or food, right? How many? Yeah. How many of you just need a snack, right? A Snickers bar sometimes to change how you feel. Okay, look, so we, 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 the change, we deal with what we feel by focusing on what we know. Consider the promises of God's word. The promises of God are what? That I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a real promise. Jesus' last words on earth were what? I am with you always to the end of the age. God's word will reveal promises of comfort and encouragement and will grow our relationship with God and help us to deal with these feelings of loneliness. Why? Because it gives us wisdom and it gives us a perspective bigger than ourself. And finally, this, isn't, this is, seems obvious, but we don't always do it. Activate your network of Christian friends. Look around you. This is your family, your small group, the people at your table, the people who share the same Holy Spirit. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. So what is to fulfill the law of Christ? And Ecclesiastes reminds us, and I'll say it again, two are better than one. You have a good reward for their labor. 
Because if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Let me give you this challenge. Don't look for someone to lift you up. Be the one to lift others up. Be the one who lifts others up. Finally, let me say this. It seems kind of obvious, but I'll say it. We are stronger together. Dealing with loneliness means doing it together, lifting one another up in prayer, encouraging one another, um, walking with one another in life's trials. Let, let's make sure that this place, this ministry, this, this group we're part of is a place where the lost, the lonely sheep of the world find the care and the love needed to, in, that they need here in, this, in God's church, with God's people, and with God's good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Look, loneliness is a real thing. We can overcome it through, the, through a relationship with God and the wisdom that comes from God. Well, that's our episode today. Thanks for listening. If there's one thing I hope you take away from all of this, it's that no matter what your relationship status is, single, dating, or married, no relationship outside of Jesus will complete you. And loneliness can only be overcome by the wisdom that comes from God. And the wisest thing you can do, if you haven't done it already, is begin a relationship with Jesus Christ by accepting his sacrifice for your sins on the cross. The Bible promises that when we do that, that God's Holy Spirit comes in to dwell in us, to comfort, encourage, and guide us. And Jesus promised that he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. It's pretty hard to be lonely with a God who is always with us. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, if you have thoughts, comments, or just want to say hi, email us at livead33 at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you'd like to partner with us and help make the podcast happen, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash livead33, where you can help support this podcast and help us reach others with the Word of God. Our music today is by Lee Rosevear. You can check out his stuff at freemusicarchive.org. My name is George Hellowa. You've been listening to the Live 8033 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Christ and give current events eternal perspective. God bless you. Have an amazing week.